Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Maybe just turn that down just a little bit. Well, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, Colum and Lucy, I'm, I'm glad I brushed my teeth after my coffee. So really close up here this morning. Um, well, as we continue our sermon series uh, through the Gospel of Luke, we are in a section in Luke uh, known as the Journey to Jerusalem. Jesus is making his way with the disciples towards Jerusalem. It's not necessarily chronological, but all the accounts and all the teaching that is taking place, Jesus is doing as he's making his way towards Jerusalem, ultimately to his death and finally to his resurrection. And while he's going, he's inviting folks to trust in him and to follow him. He's teaching his followers to walk in the ways of discipleship. Jesus goes on and he encounters crowds that are in need of physical and spiritual care. The scribes and the religious leaders oppose him and reject his ministry. And the disciples are still struggling to comprehend his coming death and his resurrection. So as we consider these things together and as we jump into our passage, uh, Jesus is, is teaching us the way of the cross, the way to follow him. What does it mean to respond to his kingdom as we consider this passage together? So our passage this morning is Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten leopards, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. 
Your faith has made you well. Let us pray. Lord God, I pray that the meditations of my mouth, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts would be worthy and acceptable to you for our growth and grace in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. One second. Well, last Sunday, for those of you who were here, uh, Pastor Chad reminded us of the centrality of humility for the disciples and the followers of Christ as we looked at the first part of chapter 17. This humility is rooted in knowing the seriousness of our sin. It's rooted in knowing the depth to which we have been forgiven and our dependence upon God for all things in our life. And this morning... We have another theme to consider as we look at these 10 leopards and the healing of them. It's the theme of gratitude. It's the theme of gratitude. As I was studying and looking and reading through some things this week, I came across a little antidote uh, having us consider gratitude. And uh, there's this mother who is praying to God. Her son is far away, possibly during war, uh, in, in harm's way, and she's pleading with God that he, that he would return her son to her. Um, and she keeps pleading and pleading, and eventually, one day, out of nowhere, poof, there he is. And of course, she's joyful and she's happy that her son is here, but the very next thing that comes out of her mouth when she prays to God is, God, he had a hat. Where's his hat? Now, that's a silly antidote. It's a silly little story, but I think in some ways it's revealing of our hearts. We oftentimes plead with God about certain things going on in our lives. We have bills to pay. We have friendships and relationships that are often broken or frustrating. We may even little things this morning. We didn't get our cup of coffee, and so now we're a little aggravated or frustrated, a little ungrateful for that, that situation. But yet our passage this morning is not just a moral story directing us just to be more thankful, to be more grateful, although those are all good things, but rather what we are to see from this this passage about the thankful Samaritan leper is two things. What are we to be grateful for and to whom are we to be grateful towards? So as we look at this account of the healing of the ten leopards, I I have two questions for us to consider together this morning. First, who are those who display genuine gratitude, in particular in this passage, but generally? And then second, where should this gratitude lead us? Where should this gratitude lead us? So first, the first question for us to consider, who are those who display genuine gratitude? Or maybe another way we could phrase it within the Gospel of Luke is to say, who is responding to the mercy and grace that we see Christ bestowing upon all the folks that he's interacting with and encountering in his ministry? All sorts of people are coming to Jesus. They want to hear his teaching, a teaching that is unlike any of the scribes or the religious leaders. He heals the sick and the afflicted. He shows compassion on the downtrodden the outsider, and the weary one. We see this all throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. 
Yet, who are the ones who are responding in faith? Who are the ones responding to the king, his message, and his kingdom? Sure, Jesus is doing great and powerful things, but who actually draws near to Jesus to follow him? Here in our passage this morning, we get a glimpse of what one looks like as they respond in faith to Jesus' good news of the gospel and the coming kingdom. It's not just a response of trust and obey, but it's actually responding to Jesus with a heart of gratitude. So we're told in verse 11 that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to Jerusalem. This is actually the fourth time in this section called the journey to Jerusalem uh, that we're told that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Just a constant reminder, a slow drumbeat reminding us that Jesus is drawing closer and closer to the place where he will eventually die, to the place where he will eventually rise from the grave. He will be uh, opposed by the religious leaders, and he will meet injustice at the hands of foreign rulers. We're also told that he's in this region between Samaria and Galilee, which is a little interesting because when you look on a map, the region between Samaria and Galilee is not north and south. It's actually east and west. So what is Jesus doing in this region? I thought he was on his way to Jerusalem. And potentially this region, there's a good chance that was a desolate area, maybe only a couple scattered villages. Um, And this region was probably filled with outcasts, in particular leopards, those who were pushed out from their villages, those who were distant. So it's not a surprise that as Jesus ventures to this village in this region, that he encounters 10 leopards that are standing at a distance, crying out for mercy. Now, leprosy in this day is, is, um, re- refers to a whole host of, of skin diseases and afflictions, many of which are painful, many of which are irritating, eating away at the skin, making it raw, and even disfiguring the body. But you see, leprosy is not just a physical detriment to the body. It was also a relational and an emotional detriment to one's soul, to one's being. You see, the provisions were provided for God's people to deal with leprosy. We read in Leviticus and Numbers, all sorts of laws that were meant to protect the people from the spread of leprosy. But as a result, one of the things that it required was that those who were afflicted with leprosy had to live outside of the villages, had to live outside of the towns. So these folks... They were separated from their loved ones. They were separated from their families. They lost their jobs. They were apart from normal society. They found themselves also isolated. They couldn't gather together with God's people for worship. They had no family, no job, and no religious community. But second, and and possibly even more humiliating, is that every time a leopard would walk down a street or a road, they would have to shout out in front of them when they would encounter somebody, unclean, unclean. This was a warning to those passing by that they were a leopard. Now, it doesn't take a lot of imagination for us to consider the deep shame that would be associated with this, with this disease. It's one thing for the disease to affect you, your physical health, but it's quite another thing for it to eat away at your very humanity, to eat away at your soul, to separate you from people. 
I was trying to think of a, a close example of this. We don't really have leprosy today in our modern context. And a, a couple things that I thought of, uh, one I have experience with and one I don't, um, is either bed bugs or lice. I mean, I think, I, I know some folks may have struggled with bed bugs or some folks have had lice. I know I have. And there's an interesting thing that f happens when people actually find out that you have bed bugs or lice. You don't usually get a hug from them saying, oh, I'm sorry. Usually you're like, oh, that's, that's nice. Uh, I hope you can figure that out. And I say that because that's kind of the picture that we have here with leprosy. Yet in the midst of their affliction and their isolation, these leopards found themselves with some sort of fellowship. They found um, uh, a fellowship, this de facto community with one another. There's 10 of them. You could imagine that being separated from the rest of society, you don't have a lot of security. So these 10 are gathered together. They're, they're protecting one another. They have this common affliction. But yet they also have this common need, this common need for healing, this common need for mercy. So it's along this dusty road outside a village that Jesus encounters these 10 leopards. They are pleading with Jesus that he would consider their physical affliction and their social isolation. And they cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy. Jesus, Master, have mercy. In that cry, they recognize that Jesus is the one to whom they can go in their time of need. Because of their leprosy, they stand at a distance, though, crying out for mercy. They recognize something is wrong in their lives. They recognize that they need help with their problem. They need help in order to be restored to their families and their friends, their jobs, in order to be bought, brought back into normal life. And in some sense, they act in faith, seeking mercy from Jesus. Now, it's here in the midst of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem that he's been facing all sorts of opposition to his ministry. And we find Jesus encountering these afflicted outcasts, and yet he also extends to them mercy and grace. Even in the midst of conflict and rejection by religious leaders, even though the crowds don't fully understand what's going on, even though his disciples are confused about his ultimate purpose here, Jesus continues to extend his compassion to those in need, to those who would call out to him. The healing of the leopard in this passage, however, kind of stands as a contrast to a lot of other of Jesus' healings. Usually draw, Jesus draws near to people who are sick and afflicted. Oftentimes you see him even touching those who are suffering with leprosy. So why in this case does Jesus heal from a distance? I think part of the answer lies in the fact that Jesus meets these leopards where they're at. They're used to being isolated from everyone else. They're used to finding a sense of security among themselves. So the question remains, will they go in obedience to Jesus' command when he says, go to the priest and you will be healed? Will they remain in their perceived security and comfort among one another? Or will they find their security and their hope in Christ? The way Jesus heals these leopards is actually quite strange. You see, based on the cleanliness laws of God's people, one could only go to a priest if they were actually healed, if they were actually well. 
The priest in this case kind of acted as like a public health inspector. They, were, they would be the ones to declare whether or not somebody was cleaned from their leprosy and they could return or whether they were not as a precaution to protect the people. The assumption, though, in Jesus' command here is that they will be healed by the time they make it to the priest. Jesus commands the leopards to go and be inspected by the local police, requiring them to move out of their perceived security and comfort with one another towards faith in his words that they would be healed. As I was reflecting on Jesus and how he tells them to go before they're even healed, I was kind of thinking of this time when I went to urgent care. Uh, my wife and I had just moved to Dallas, and I had a really sore throat. It was hot, and it was the summer, and I just felt disgusting. And my throat was absolutely sore. I thought I had strep throat. That was my self-diagnosis. And thinking that I had strep throat, I needed to go to the doctor. I went to urgent care, and they did the test. They did the swab. Um, I sat in the room. They got the results back, and the doctor sat in the room with me for two minutes, said, you don't have it. Take some Tylenol. Go to sleep. And by the way, here's your bill. And I remember thinking to myself, uh, I, that's not quite what I was expecting. I was expecting a little bit more. I was expecting a little bit more interaction. I was expecting um, that, I, I, that I would be healed maybe a little bit more quickly. But instead, you're saying that I just have to go and wait it out. And that's just, when I think of that with Jesus, that, that's what it reminds me of here with the leopards, that they were placing their trust, their faith, in, in moving forward without actually being healed in that moment. But the thing is, as the leopards went, they were healed of their diseases, of their skin disease. The skin became clear from traces of all disease, so by the time that they were inspected by the priest, they were declared clean, and they could return to their families and their friends and their jobs, getting back to normal life. No longer afflicted with pain and irritation or with embarrassment and shame. All ten of these leopards acted in faith, seeking relief from Jesus, seeking mercy from Jesus. And all ten of these leopards acted trusting in Jesus' words and going in obedience. But there's a one difference here in the, our passage. See, only one of them actually returns to give thanks and praise to Jesus. And not only that, but he was a Samaritan. And we see that in the end of verse 16. Now, if you were a first century reader, you would have been shocked by this. A Samaritan? An ethnic, ethnically mixed person? Someone who's a pagan? Someone who has bad theology? Someone who has unorthodox practices? Yet it's this Samaritan who returns to Jesus. It's the Samaritan who actually lifts up his voice, praising God and giving thanks for the mercy that he has received. Now, we're not explicitly told this, but I think we can implicitly see it from Jesus' words in verse 18, be, that it would suggest that the other leopards, or at least a majority of them, were actually Jewish. They would have known the mighty works of God, they would have known how God had saved his people. They would have these would have been the ones who would have known their Bible. And yet it's the Samaritan who returns to give thanks to God. In a twist, we come to see that it's the marginalized. It's the one who witnesses healing. It's the one who knows the depth of their sin 
and how it isolates them from God and from one another and from their neighbor, it's that person who comes to express gratitude in God, gratitude in Jesus. It's the outsider and not the insider who shows gratitude to God for his mercy and grace. This past week, I had the opportunity with a couple of our high school students and, and Jody Lewis to serve down in South Chicago in, in a neighborhood called Woodlawn through a ministry called Bridge Builders and, and through Sunshine Gospel Ministry. Uh, and we had the opportunity to serve and clean uh, some apartments. We had the opportunity to serve and get to know folks at the local elementary school. We got to eat with kids during lunch, little five and four-year-olds. And it was, it was a true joy. But the one thing that stood out to me and the one thing that the program emphasized, the director and the interns wanted to leave with us as we left, was a reminder that although we came to a community that on the outside doesn't look like they have the material things that we may enjoy or that the world perceives as necessary, um, they have joy and they're grateful for the things that have been provided for them. And the reason why they have that is because they know their need for God. And it's not just their need, their physical needs, but it's also their spiritual need. And we were reminded that we were those, we too are those who are poor. Even if we have everything together in our lives on the outside, we too struggle with poverty. We too struggle with loneliness and desire to know God more deeply. A sense of gratitude towards God for his good gifts and the blessing that he provides. So we see from this account of the Samaritan leopard that the grateful ones are people who know the depth of their sin and the isolation which causes them to be isolated from God and from each other. But gratitude is not just a better mindset for Christians to have. It's not just a moral virtue we should try to cultivate. Genuine gratitude stems from the depths of the gospel and the faith that moves in us. It takes us from an attitude of selfishness, bitterness, and entitlement to a place of self-giving praise and humility. It actually moves us closer to God and closer to one another. Now, the, the second question here is much shorter for us consi to consider, and it's this. Where should grati genuine gratitude lead us? Where should genuine gratitude lead us? You see, as we encounter Jesus, we are exposed to his grace. We, when, we are, are, and when we encounter Jesus and when we are exposed to his grace, it moves us. Now, the thing about it is it, it moves us in one of two directions. We don't stay in neutral. We don't stay where we're at. There is no middle ground. When we encounter Jesus, we either move towards him or away from him. When Jesus encounters the leopards, and oftentimes us, he finds them at a distance. And we, the leopards, stand at a distance, often because of our sin and our failings. These nine leopards experience this great healing from God and his grace. They're now restored to their families, their lives, but yet they remain at a distance from God. They remain at a distance from Jesus. And a matter of fact, Jesus asked the question, where are the nine? They've disappeared. They encounter Christ and his mercy, but they have moved on with their lives. On the other hand, the Samaritan, this religious and ethnic outcast, experiences the same healing mercy. Yet 
it doesn't move him away from Jesus, rather it draws him to the feet of Jesus. The one who stood at a distance crying out for God's mercy now cries out with a loud voice praising God at his very feet. You see, the nine thought that their biggest problem when they encountered Jesus was their physical uh, affliction. And yes, that's a big problem, but it wasn't their greatest problem. They thought once this affliction was removed, they could go home and return to their normal lives. Yet we see in this account a twist. It reveals to us that just being exposed to God's grace does not actually lead us towards God. Something it can actually, sometimes it can actually lead us away from him. The lepers were healed, but they were nowhere to be found. The initial problem of physical affliction and disease is addressed, but now they are further away from Jesus than when they even had leprosy. There's also another level of irony here, is that the results of healing the ten leopards, they get to go home. They're no longer outsiders or outcasts, and yet for one leopard in particular, he does remain an outcast, the Samaritan. He's an outcast, at least from God, the, the view of the God's people. He's an ethnic outcast. He's a religious outcast. Even though this is the case for the Samaritan and he gets to return home, he is no longer an outsider, though, because he has come to Jesus. He has come to Jesus. I love this quote from John Calvin. He reminds us of our tendency to neglect giving thanks, this tendency that we have. He says, we have short memories in magnifying and glorifying God's grace. Every blessing that God confers upon us perishes through our carelessness if we are not prompt and active in giving thanks. So at one level, there's a carelessness on our part that can develop, forgetting what God has done for us and forgetting to declare his glory and grace. And yet there's also another inclination that we can have and fall into. We are inclined to not give thanks, but to actually be ingrateful. We are inclined to think that ingratitude, that's just a minor issue. That's just a minor problem. Parents get embarrassed when their kids are ungrateful in front of company. Or if it happens in a workplace, you just think that person is selfish and entitled, but they're not going to lose their job if they're ungrateful. However, God actually takes ingratitude seriously. At the heart of ingratitude is an assumption that we are owed something from God and others that we perceive that we deserve. We, just like the unworthy servants in the passage before this, think that there's something that God is holding back from us. In 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 1 through 2, Paul gives this whole host of characteristics describing the ungodliness of this age. And you can think of the ones that would pop in there, pride and greed, abuse, selfishness. But one characteristic that you'll find in there, if you read close enough, is ungratefulness. Ungratefulness. See, gratitude here is actually meant to draw us closer to God and to one another. It's actually ingratitude actually does the very opposite. It erects walls uh, between us and God. It erects walls between us and others. Walls of bitterness. Walls of envy. This is the, this is the fruit of ingratitude. And I often think 
just by way of example and just reflecting in our own lives with our own families. How many of you, <laughs> I, I confess this of my own as a, as a, as a son, uh, I wish I had been more grateful to my parents. I wish I had shown in my actions and my words my gratitude towards my mom and my dad for all the things that they had done. And yet how many times do our ingratitude towards others create barriers and actually further and deteriorate our relationships actually rather than drawing us together. So as we reflect on this, as we think about this, faith is actually at the heart of this passage. It's faith. Gratitude is as much a part of our faith as trusting and obeying God. The assumption from this passage is that the ten were made well and they were healed. So what is Jesus getting at here when he says that this Samaritan, his faith has made him well? His faith has made him well. I think he's getting at here is that the Samaritan actually recognizes his true need for God, his true need. Even though he could be restored to everything, his family, his home, his work, even though he could be given everything, his true need was to be with God. Faith is seeking to know and to be known by God. And an implication and a fruit of that is our gratitude towards him. So faith and gratitude are not inseparable. We cannot have a genuine gratitude if we do not trust God for our good and well-being. When we come to experience God's grace towards us, we cannot help but to be shaped by the gratitude we have in Christ and for him. So by way of conclusion, as we conclude this morning, as we draw all these things together, I, act I have one more question for us to consider as a group, as a whole. I, I want to leave us with the one question that Jesus asked in this passage. He says, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Where have they gone? If I'm honest with myself, I am one of the nine. The nine who were exposed to Christ's mercy and grace, and yet I have gone about my normal everyday life without a thought towards his grace and his mercy towards me. And I think if we all are honest, we can find the nine in the corners of our hearts, the places where indifference towards God build up and towards one another, and in gratitude towards his mercy grows and bitterness festers, do you find yourself at a distance from Jesus? If that's the case, maybe it's a fear of not being received that keeps you there. Maybe it's a fear that if Jesus gets too close, you'll be exposed, or even worse, he'll demand too much of you. Maybe you stand at a distance from him this morning because you want God to act and do something, but you don't really want to know God or to be known by him. So my question this morning for us is this. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you this morning? Can you be found at the feet of Jesus drawing near to God and giving him praise? Or do you have better things to do? Do you have bigger fish to fry? Now the good news for you and me is the fact of the matter is, is oftentimes we are far away. Oftentimes we do not find ourselves at Jesus' feet and yet, even in the midst of our ingratitude and distance towards God, God is faithful towards us. When we are faithless, 
God shows himself faithful. When we are ungrateful, God patiently waits for us to draw near to him with thanksgiving and praise. My, my prayer and my hope for us is that we would continue to grow, and not just we need to be more grateful people, but that we would grow to know that a heart of gratitude comes from knowing who our God is in Jesus Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.